Amen. All right, well, we are going to talk about the king this morning out of 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Last week, uh, we were in 1 Samuel chapter 7, and we looked at the life of Samuel, who was the judge, the ruler of Israel that was ordained by God for a specific season. It was Father's Day, and so we looked at some principles of how Samuel led the nation of Israel and how those things apply to those of us who are leading families. And so, uh, it's a little bit ironic that um, 1 Samuel chapter 8 starts off by telling us that Samuel's two sons were not very good. Uh, But let me read it to you. 1 Samuel chapter 8, I'm going to read the first 10 verses, and then we'll get into the message together. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. His firstborn son's name was Joel, and his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. However, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned toward dishonest prophet, took bribes, and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and went to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, look, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Therefore, appoint a king to judge us, the same as all the other nations have. When they said, give us a king to judge us, Samuel considered their demand wrong. So he prayed to the Lord. But the Lord told him, listen to the people and everything they say to you. They have not rejected you. They have rejected me as their king. They're doing the same thing to you that they've done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day. Abandoning me and worshiping other gods. Listen to them, but solemnly warn them and tell them about the customary rights of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the Lord's words to the people who were asking him for a king. So here we see, uh, this is kind of a change in the era of the story of the nation of Israel. Goes from a time where judges ruled Israel, people who were hand-selected by God for a certain seasons, and it enters into the era, the time of the kings of Israel. But it starts off, and it tells us that, that Samuel had put his sons in charge, and they were not good. They were, they were dishonest. They were taking bribes. And so the question this morning is, what happened to Samuel's sons? I mean, Samuel was a godly man. Samuel, over and over in Scripture, uh, he's revealed to us as a man who feared God, who followed God in every area of his life, and his sons come into a position of authority and power, and they're taking bribes. They're, they're committing injustice. They're lining their pockets. So the question is, what happened to them? And I, I wonder if, if that's how they started. We, we don't know. We don't know the whole story, but, but maybe Samuel's sons were good judges when they started. Right? Maybe they were doing the right things. Maybe they were following God's law as they should. But over time, they became corrupt. Because the truth is, this can happen to any of us. And so this morning, there's a warning for each of us, and that's this. We must guard our hearts against pride. We must guard our hearts against pride. Book of 1 Corinthians says, don't be deceived, bad company corrupts good character. 
We've seen this time and time again, right? When you, when you get a little bit of power, there's a saying that, that says power corrupts and absolute power absolutely corrupts. We've all seen this. We've all seen people who power goes to their heads. Maybe you're thinking of somebody right now. Don't say it out loud. But we've all seen it, right? When, when everybody laughs at your jokes, even when they're really, really bad jokes because you're the most powerful person in the room and you walk in and everybody swoons. And we have to guard ourselves against that. We have to guard ourselves against pride. We have to guard our heart. The book of Proverbs tells us, above all else, guard your heart because it's the source, the wellspring of life. We have to guard our heart Against pride, Scripture tells us God resists the proud but gives grace upon grace upon grace to the humble. And Samuel's sons, at some point in their life, whether it was when they were young men or whether it was after they had been on the job for a few years, something happened to them. They begin to listen to the voices of the people around them that said, hey, let's make a deal. Right, it, it probably started off just with little, little cutting corners, just in a subtle way. They, they probably didn't start off by corrupting justice. It, it probably just started off with, hey, I know, I know that I owe some money, but here's, here's the deal. If, if you'll cut my rate in half, I'll give you half of it. I mean, it, it's a win-win situation. Right, it probably just started off with little, it's not hurting anybody, nobody will know. Nobody will ever find out. And over time, they begin to compromise the truth until the point that they're corrupt rulers. So much so that the people say, Samuel, these guys have gotta go. They are corrupt, they are not following in your ways. And we look at a story like this and we say, I can't believe these guys, but the truth is it happens to us all the time. Because our hearts are prone to wonder. Our hearts are, are prone to pride. Our hearts are prone to selfishness and rebellion. And if we're not careful to guard our hearts, we will end up in a place where we never thought we would be. And this mor morning, we take a warning from Samuel's sons to guard our hearts. And so the story goes that the nation of Israel came to Samuel and they said, hey, Samuel, bro, you're old. Samuel didn't like that, and none of us like that. Um, when I was a youth pastor, I knew my time was up when it became clear that I was viewed as old by the students. Don Jacobson, he's still a man in his youth. He is uh, in his prime. Um, this week, yeah, you are Don, you are. You're Superman. Um, as I was thinking about our students going to camp this week, I, I was thinking, praise God that I don't have to go. <laughs> I love you guys, I do, I love you but I need to go to bed by 9.30 or 10 at the very latest. 
And uh, I'm not nice if I don't. And um, so that w- wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be glorifying to God. It wouldn't be helpful for the students. But the people came to Samuel and they said, Samuel, you're old, man. You don't have much time left. And these two sons that you've put in charge, they are not good. And it tells us that, that Samuel considered their demand wrong. I'm sure he was hurt personally. But they also go on to say, Samuel, we want a king so we can be like all the other nations. And, and Samuel thought, this is not right. So we looked at Samuel's sons, what happened to them? But what happened to Israel? What happened to the nation of Israel? In, in chapter 7, they were living on a high. They had conquered the Philistines, and there was an incredible time of peace in the nation of Israel. Said they turned their hearts back to God, and they, they said, Samuel, we want to follow the Lord. We long for him. And Samuel said, then put away all your idols and, and your false gods. And they did it, and they were following the Lord. But now they come to a season, and they say, ah, Samuel, we want a king because we want to be like everybody else. So what happened? to the nation of Israel. First, we see that they're getting ahead of God, and it's a warning for us that we need to wait on God's timing. We need to wait on God's timing because the truth is God had a plan for Israel to have a king one day. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, in the law of Moses, uh, we're told what the guidelines for Israel's future king would be. God has a plan for Israel to have a king one day. It's it's part of God's design for this nation of Israel. But it wasn't time for the king yet. But the people said, no, 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 we we don't want to wait anymore. We're sick of waiting, Samuel. We want a king now because we want to be like everybody else. Look, the request wasn't a bad request. Right? They didn't say, hey, Samuel, we want a demon to be our king. Like, it wasn't like we want to be devil worshipers. They, they said, Samuel, we just want a king, a man from our own nation. Because we want to be like everybody else. The, the, the request for a king wasn't a bad request. And, and Samuel's sons truly were corrupt leaders. And a lot of times in our lives, we hit seasons and situations where there needs to be a change, but we don't want to wait on God to make the change happen. We don't want to seek him. We've we've prayed and we've prayed and we're sick of praying about it. We've waited and we've waited and we're sick of waiting. And we we want it now, God. We want it right now. So we begin to take matters into our own hands. When we stop waiting, we stop trusting When we stop waiting on God, we stop trusting that he's in control and we begin to think that we're the ones who are in control. We think we're the ones who are in charge. We want to be the king of our own life. We're going to read it again in just a minute, but in this same chapter in verse 19, after Samuel had told them, you want a king? It's not going to be easy. You know, he's going to take your money. He's going to take your servants. He's going to take your land. Um... But it says this, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 19, says the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we must have a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations. Our king will judge us. He will go out before us and he will fight our battles. 
Did you hear that? They want a king who will go before them, who will judge them, who will fight their battles. But Exodus chapter 14, when the nation of Israel was coming out of Egypt, they were being pursued by the Egyptians. Exodus chapter 14, verse 13, listen to what Moses says to the people. Don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation that he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You must only be quiet. But now the people are saying, no, no, we want a king who will fight for us. We don't, we don't want the Lord to fight for us anymore. Later in Deuteronomy, when the law of the Lord is being laid out in Deuteronomy Chapter 1, verse 30, it says, The Lord your God who goes before you will fight for you just as you saw him do for you in Egypt. But the people say, no, no, no. We don't want the Lord to fight for us anymore. We want a king and we want him now. We want him to judge us, to lead us, and to fight our battles. A king is better because we're tired of waiting on God. And we can't see him anyway. We want a king that we can, that we can see him on his throne. Ooh, and we'll be like everybody else. They stopped waiting on God. Psalm 146, verses three through five, once again reminds us, do not trust in nobles or princes or kings and a son of man who cannot save. When his breath leaves him, he returns to the ground and on that day his plans die. But happy is the one whose help is the God of Jacob whose hope is in the Lord. But Israel didn't want to wait on God anymore and so many times in our lives we get to this place where we don't want to wait on God. We don't want to trust him to be the one to go before us, to be the one to fight our battles and so we try to take matters into our own hands. And over and over and over again we mess things up. It's what happened here with the nation of Israel. But not only did they stop trusting God and stop waiting on God, but their motives were all wrong. And in our own lives, we need to examine our own motives. We need to examine our own motives because there's lots of things that we want and that we pray for. And we try to tell ourselves this is about God and it's for God and it's for his glory. But the truth is, it's about us. And it's about our comfort, and it's about what we want, and it's about making ourselves feel good, and we have to examine our own motives. Israel said, we want to be like everybody else. Egypt's got a king. The Assyrians have a king. We want, we want a king like those guys. And we begin to look around us, and, and we think, Man, living a life for God's glory is hard. I just want to be like everybody else. I want, I want life to be easy. I want smooth sailing. So let me just fit in. Let me just go along and get along. Let me just do what everybody else is doing. And that's what the nation of Israel said. We want to be like everybody else. Their motives were wrong. This wasn't about God and his glory. This wasn't about his 
people that he had chosen and set apart. This wasn't about glorifying the one who had saved them and sustained them and led them out of slavery and who had fought their battles time and time and time and time and time again. Now they say, we don't want him to fight our battles anymore. We want a king because we want to be like everybody else. And it happens to us too. Maybe you're facing a situation right now in your life and you're just sick of waiting on God. And you've just thrown your hands up and you say, I don't know if I believe that anymore. I don't know that I believe that God is really good or that God really has any power or authority. I'm tired of waiting on him. I'm just gonna be like everybody else. It's what happened to Israel in this story. We take a warning from Samuel's sons to guard our hearts against pride. We take a warning from the nation of Israel to wait on God, to examine our motives. But then we look at how Samuel responded to this situation. It tells us that the people came to Samuel and they said, we want a king. And in verse 10 or I'm sorry, in in verse six, it says, Samuel considered their demand wrong, so he prayed to the Lord. Samuel went to seek God's direction about the situation that he was facing. He went to God and he said, God, this is wrong. Prayer is the most important thing that we can do when we are facing a difficult situation. Israel was tired of praying. They were tired of waiting. Scripture tells us those who wait upon the Lord will what? They will renew their strength. The truth is waiting is trusting. Waiting is an expression of our faith. Waiting is not passive. Waiting simply means that we are trusting God to give direction, to set the pace, to go before us. And Samuel sought God's direction, and God gave him direction. God said, well, give them what they want, Samuel. I mean, let's let them learn a lesson. Give them what they want, but I want you to tell them that it's going to be hard. I want you to tell them exactly what having a king is going to mean. Samuel sought God's direction, and God revealed to him what to say to the people Samuel responded by seeking God's direction, but also by reminding himself and the people of God's truth. And we need to remind ourselves of God's truth. Here's what verse 11 says. Samuel speaks to the people in 1 Samuel 8, verse 11. He said, these are the rights of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and put them to use in his chariots, on his horses, or running in front of his chariots. He can appoint them for his use as commanders of thousands or commanders of fifties to plow his ground and to reap his harvest or to make his weapons of war and the equipment for his chariots. He can take your daughters to become perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He can take your best fields, vineyards, olive orchards, and give them to his servants. He can then take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give them to his officials and servants. He can take your male servants, your female servants, your best cattle and your donkeys and use them for his work. He can take a tenth of your flocks and yourselves can become his servants. 
And when that day comes, you will cry out because of the king you've chosen for yourselves, but the Lord won't answer you on that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. They said, no, we must have a king. Listen, church, Samuel is giving the people the truth of God, a warning from God, and, and we, need to, we need to be in God's word to remind ourselves of the truth. But the people refuse to listen, and they say, no, 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 it's not like that, Samuel. You don't know. It's not, it's not gonna be like that for us. We're gonna, we're gonna get a good king. And all our wildest dreams are gonna come true, Samuel. I read about it in a meme online. There was this Taylor Swift song, and it told me if I just followed my heart that this I, it would be great. Everything would be awesome. And Samuel says, look, let me tell you, let me tell you the truth, okay? Let me give you a warning. This is not going to go the way you thought it was going to go. And they refused to listen. We need to remind ourselves of God's truth, but not just remind ourselves, then we need to listen. <laughs> the book of James, I, I referenced uh, James a minute ago where, where James says you, God doesn't answer your prayers because you answer with, you pray with bad motives. But the book of James chapter one tells us that, that we can't just be hearers of the word, but we must also be doers. And I love the example he gives. He says, if you listen and don't do, you're like somebody who looks in a mirror and then doesn't do anything about what they see. That's the Dustin Janney paraphrase. In other words, you look in the mirror and you're looking sloppy, you got stuff, you know, you got toothpaste on your cheek and your hair is all messed up. You're like, okay, cool. And you just go about your day. No, fix, fix yourself. That's what James is talking about. He says, when you read God's word and God's word gives you clear instruction and warning and you're like, eh, maybe not. Then you're like somebody who looks in a mirror and sees a mess and just walks and doesn't do anything about it. Samuel warns people God's truth. So many times we, we hear God's truth and we hear his warnings and we do it our way anyway and then we say, God, why did you let this happen? The good news is grace upon grace upon grace. He covers us with grace upon grace upon grace. And there's grace for our mistakes but there's also consequences. We need to listen to God's warning, his truth, his instructions. I told you a minute ago that Deuteronomy chapter 17 gave us the guidelines about what the future king of Israel would look like. And, and I want to read it to you, and there's, there's something really important at the end of this passage. It starts like this. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, Take possession of it, live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like the nations around me. You are to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. In other words, God, God will choose a king for you if you'll wait for him. 
Appoint a king from your brothers. You're not to set a foreigner over you or one who is not of your people. However, he must not acquire many horses for himself or send people back to Egypt to acquire many horses for the Lord has told you you are never to go back that way again. He must not acquire many wives for himself so that his heart won't go astray. He must not acquire very large amounts of silver and gold for himself. When he's seated on his royal throne, listen to this. He is to write down a copy of this instruction for himself on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priest. So those instructions, right? Hey, king of Israel, don't go get in the big head. Don't get a bunch of horses and a bunch of wives and a bunch of money and think that you're the most powerful man in the world. I, write this law down, he says, in the presence of the priest. And verse 19 says, this law is to remain with him and he's to read from it all the days of his life so that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to observe all the words of this instruction and to do these statutes. Then his heart will not be exalted above his countrymen. He will not turn from this command to the right or to the left, and he and his sons will continue reigning many years in Israel. This is so practical. It says here's the warning for the king, and the king needs to write it down, and he needs to carry it around with him and read it all the time and remind himself of God's truth. And the reason it's so important for us to be in God's word, to read God's word, to study God's word, is because we need to be reminded of the truth over and over and over and over and over and over again. I need to be reminded of why I went upstairs at my house over and over again. Like, I've hit that age where I go up, I'm like, what am I up here for? My wife can tell you, she has to tell me the same thing a million times. I only have so much room in my brain for information. And if it is, uh, yeah. And how much more do we be, need to be reminded of God's truth? Over and over and over again. And Samuel responded to the nation of Israel by saying, here's the truth. What are you going to do with it? And they said, nah, we want a king like everybody else. At the end of the day, the people of Israel thought they would be happier and more prosperous with a human king. And many of us think that we'll be happier and more prosperous if we follow the voice of culture, the world around us, instead of following God's plan for our life. Samuel warns the nation of Israel. I got to tell y'all, the king stuff went real bad. Saul was the first king. He rejected God pretty early. David was the second king. He was a good guy, but his family was a mess. He got him a bunch of wives, had a bunch of kids. There were civil wars. He murdered a man and married his wife. Then Solomon became, became king, and Solomon had like hundreds of wives. And all the horses and all the chariots and all the gold and all the silver, the exact thing that God said don't do. Samuel did that. Then Samuel died. He had a son, and his son was a jerk and split the kingdom in half. And now there's civil war in Israel. I mean, like three generations in, the whole thing fell apart. But it was like, no, 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 it's not going to be like that, Samuel. It's going to go good for us. And I just want to tell you, <laughs> 
if you, if you don't want to follow God's instructions for your life, it's not going to go well. It might be okay for a minute, but the train will come off the tracks. I, I want to read you one last passage of Scripture from the New Testament. Romans chapter 6. The truth is, each of us have to make a choice. Who is going to be the king of our life? Are we going to submit to King Jesus, or are we going to submit to the human kingdoms of this world? Listen to Paul's warning to us in Romans chapter 6. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one you obey? either of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over, that warning of God. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. And maybe you're thinking, I don't like this. I don't want to be anybody's slave I don't want to be sin slave, but I don't want to be God's slave either. But here's the deal. Whatever you serve becomes your master. So you might say, well, I don't serve sin. I just serve myself. Well, you are a lousy master too. You set up expectations for yourself that you will inevitably let yourself down on. You set up double standards. You, you're just as lousy a master as anybody else. And you know it to be true. You know how much regret there is in your life. That's because you thought you were in control and you're not. And so Paul says, look, you're going to serve somebody and it's either going to be sin or it's going to be righteousness. Having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. You came to serve righteousness. Now, here's the good news. If you're serving the right master, things are good. When Christ is king of your life, doesn't mean things are easy, but I promise things are good. There are consequences of serving sin and there are rewards that go with serving God. That's why Romans 6 continues that passage I just read you. You're either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. Verse 23 says the wages of sin or the payment for serving as a slave to sin is death. But the gift of God, the, the, the reward of serving God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, Jesus is the king who truly fights our battles. Israel was like, no, 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 no. We want one of those human kings like everybody else that'll go before us, that'll judge us, and that will fight our battles. And if you let a human king, human culture, human wisdom go before you and judge you and fight your battles, you're gonna end up disappointed. But if you let the true king 
The king of kings and lord of lords go before you and judge you and fight your battles, then you will not be disappointed, I promise. Because he will go before you. And he fought the ultimate battle. That is the battle against death. And he conquered death and sin and hell and the grave. And we have victory because he fought that battle for us. Nobody else can fight that battle for you. You can fight it on your own, but it will beat you every time. But the king of kings, he fought that battle for you. And because he fought that battle for us, if we surrender to him, put our faith in him as the king of our life, then when he judges us, we are judged as righteous. God made him, Jesus Christ, who had never known sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We are judged as righteous, not because of our own works, but because Jesus fought our battle. And so this morning, whatever season you're in, maybe you're a believer, a follower of Jesus, and you're just in a season of your life where you're tired of waiting and you want to grab things take control of the situation. You don't want to wait anymore. I just want to encourage you this morning, wait upon the Lord. Examine your heart. Examine your motives. He is good. He will go before you and he will fight your battles. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a believer. You've never come to a place of faith. You've never really surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as king. Maybe you believe in God. Maybe, maybe you think, you know, there's a place for religion in your life, but you've never surrendered because you said, I want to be the king of my own life. I don't want somebody else to be the king of my life. I just want to warn you like Samuel warned Israel. I promise <laughs> it's not going to be what you thought. And Paul warns us even more sternly, the result of that, the payment for that, the wage for that, the, the justly earned result of that is death. It's death. Physical death, we all experience one out of one people die. But it's also spiritual death, separation from God eternally in a place the Bible calls hell. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And not only eternity, but abundant life right here and right now. The thief, the enemy, the prince of the power of the air, the devil, evil, he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I came to give you life, life abundantly. So this morning, who's your king? Who's your king? Who's your king? Who is the king of your life? Just a minute, we're going to sing a little bit of that song, The Battle Belongs to the Lord. It's a good song to respond to this message this morning.
I'm going to pray, and when I do, I'm going to invite you to stand, and maybe this morning there's someone who is facing a battle in your life, and you've been trying to take control of the situation on your own, and this morning you just need to surrender and say, God, the battle belongs to you. I invite you to come forward just as a place of surrender. Give that battle to God. Maybe there's someone in here who's never come to a place of faith in your life. You've never surrendered to Jesus Christ as King of kings, Lord of lords, called on him for salvation. Today could be your day of salvation. If God is prompting that in your heart, I believe that's his Holy Spirit calling you and drawing you to himself. We would love to pray with you and show you how you could know Jesus as Savior and Lord and King. Stand up with me as I pray. Lord, we love you this morning. Thank you that you are a good and righteous and just and holy and eternal king. You are good. You are loving. You are full of grace and mercy to a thousand generations. This morning, Lord, help us to wait on you. Help us to trust you. Help our hearts not turn to pride, thinking that we have things under control. But help us to surrender, to rest, to trust, to wait upon you. Because you are a good and perfect king. Only you can satisfy. So Lord, help us to respond as you call us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As God has prompted you, I invite you to respond.